0: my preferred way of vacationing is cruising there's frozen yogurt self-serves pretty much everywhere which was a definite plus when i could survive off of sugar Um, i can fall asleep at a port in italy and wake up in greece which removes the urge for kids to ask are we there yet every two minutes and if you do find yourself at sea one day there's a variety of activities available Magic shows, trivia, my personal favorite, karaoke. Yep, I am that person. And like any karaoke fan, I have my go-to song. It's a classic, it's from the 80s, and most karaoke stations have it at the ready. It's also a duet and pretty well known, so I have no problem dragging a friend on stage to get embarrassed alongside me. My go-to song, Don't Stop Believin' by Journey. If you aren't familiar, have you been living under a rock? I'm kidding. But I don't know very few people, at least in my generation, who, if I sang, just a small town girl, wouldn't know to reply, living in a lonely world. It's a great song, and it's got a great message. Don't stop believing. The song tells the start of a love story of two strangers meeting on a midnight train going anywhere. And it's just one of hundreds, or I'm sure thousands, of songs about believing. But what's important to understand about this song and its message to not stop believing is that it's because of these two strangers' belief in love that they have the chance to find it in each other. The actions they take because of their belief opens the door to a possibility for love. The song doesn't go into specifics. It does mention, though, that for a smile they can sit next to each other and talk and be really good friends. Um, I altered the lyrics a little bit, but you get the point. Without that smile, they're just two strangers. The simple action of sharing a smile though can lead to so much more. Our second reading today comes from the book of Acts in chapter 16 with Luke continuing his account of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul is accompanied by Silas and Timothy and they recently arrived in the city of Philippi located on the northern region of the modern, of modern day Greece. I will be reading verses 16 through 34 from the deep blue Bible that we give to our third graders. This is in the common English translation. Hear now the word of God. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. We are in week seven of our sermon series, Verbs of Faith, but the verb believe within the context of religion at least is an intransitive verb or a state of being verb. It describes a situation rather than relying on a direct object to describe a, vis- a, visual act- a visible action that is occurring. For example, if I asked you to run, you would get up and run across the room. But if I asked you to demonstrate the verb believe, what would you do? In this story of Paul and Silas in prison, there are a number of verbs used. The slave girl shouted at Paul and Silas. The owners seized Paul and Silas for casting out the spirit. The magistrate ordered for them to be flogged and beaten. And finally, the jailer was commanded to guard Paul and Silas carefully. All of these tell of specific things that people did until the earthquake hit. Then the jailer sees the prison doors open and the first belief is mentioned. He thought the prisoners had escaped. This thought or belief triggered the action of drawing his sword to take his own life, which suggests that the earlier command from his superiors to guard the prisoners was so serious that his failure to do so would result in something worse than death. No matter the earthquake, no matter that the earthquake was not the jailer's doing, He was responsible for the prisoners and he had failed. The second belief in this story is alluded to by Paul's words to the jailer. Paul's belief in God's mercy for all people, regardless of their faith backgrounds, caused him to intervene when he saw the jailer move to harm himself. Paul didn't know the direct consequences of his words and for all he knew, the jailer would just lock him up somewhere else. And the third belief is when the jailer's heart is changed. His heart goes from fear to faith in a split second. The jailer believed that Paul and Silas as faithful men of God would know what he must do to be saved. Paul had saved the jailer's life just moments before by admitting to their presence. So surely he would know how to save not only his earthly life but his life everlasting as well. Paul's response seems so simple, believe, just believe in the Lord. And to an extent, salvation is that simple. It's God's grace, a free gift to us through Jesus. Ephesians 2 verses eight through nine, Paul reiterates this saying, you are saved by God's grace. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. But it's important to remember believing is a verb. So how do we live out our belief? Reading on Ephesians 2.10, Paul tells us, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. So yes, salvation is a gift from God. There is no checklist for us to complete to receive it. That is Paul's point in Ephesians. Not that there is nothing to do for salvation, but nothing that we have to do for salvation. Accepting the gift of God's grace involves our faith and our faith is manifested through our actions. Actions which display our trust in and commitment to God to a world that is hungry for good news, to a world that needs the hope of faith in difficult situations. That's what it means to believe. Now I realize in a few days we will be in June, but just for a second, I ask you to think about December. People of many faith backgrounds have a common belief at Christmas time. The belief that Santa Claus will come down their chimney, fill their stockings with goodies and leave them gifts. And with this belief in the man in red comes an action. We leave milk and cookies out for him. And we do this because we believe and have faith that Santa will come. Now, this is just one small example of how our faith is shown through our actions. And just as Paul's answer to believe seems simple, it may seem as though faith for a child is simple too. And it might be simple and easy to have faith in Santa Claus, but it's much more difficult to put your faith into action when you're nine years old and your sister has been laying in a hospital bed in pain for a month, believing there's nothing the doctors can do to make her better. It's much more difficult to put your faith into action when you're 16 years old and you're saying goodbye to a friend you grew up with as they leave the church because they believe they won't be welcome anymore if they're open about who they love and come out of the closet. And it's much more difficult to put your faith into action when you've just graduated college with an art history degree, unsure of your next step in life, but feeling and believing in God's call to South Bend, Indiana. A state you have never even visited before that is 1,200 miles away from family and friends in Texas. It was difficult and it was scary, but that belief, my belief, led me to a whole new community of people that I love. So what does believing look like for you? In all circumstances, it is our responsibility to live out our belief in acts of faith. Our faith should be like a light that attracts a moth or a magnet that is pulling others inward. Not because if we do good things, we get salvation, or on the contrary, if we do bad things, we won't, but because believing is a verb. And to live out our faith, we must put our beliefs into action. Amen.